Welcome to the Sisters Community Church Podcast. God is love. What an amazing statement. How can we, as God's followers, model that love towards God and to each other? Well, in today's episode, Pastor Ryan Moffat continues our series in 1 John, where we pick it up in chapter 4. Let's listen. I know you just sat down, but uh, I'm going to read scripture. So would you stand with me as we listen to God's word this morning? This is 1 John chapter 4, verses 13 to 21. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is also are we in the world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Pray with me this morning. God, so much of our lives have been driven by fear. So many of us have been successful, but the motivational structure of our heart has not been love. It's been trying to appease you, mom or dad, a friend, an employer. And so I just would pray this morning, Holy Spirit, please drive into us as a congregation an ability to accept the love of God. And I pray, oh God, that that love would become a catalyst of authentic, loving relationships, both inside this church and outside. God, please massage your truth into our hearts in ways that we need, ways that we know, and maybe ways we don't know. Have your way. Help me this morning. I feel inadequate for the task, so have your way. Please help all of us this morning by your grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. We're going to look at this passage this morning kind of through four myths that are often believed and accepted, maybe even in, in, in Christianity or in churches. And then we're going to combat some of those myths with some truth statements this morning. And uh, we need maybe a little bit of tuning up. And as Steve talked about last week, as we go into this new year, this new year is a great time to recalibrate the way we think, the way we live, the way we understand the world. And here's what can happen, I think, maybe in the church, even long-term generationally, if we're not careful, is that we can have a lot of good intentions. We can have a lot of good passions. We can even believe things really, really passionately, 
But if it's not directed and clear, and it's not primarily true from Scripture, we can actually inject maybe the wrong thinking. And uh, I was reminded reading a study the other day, they were doing a study on IQ globally. It was really interesting. American, uh, average IQ, we were number 27 in IQ. But we were number one in confidence. So (laughs) you bridge the gap there, right? We passionately believe all the wrong things. Welcome to America. Case in point, one time I was on a, on a youth retreat. I was with a group of students. And uh, as, a, as a youth pastor at the time, I was born and raised in suburbia, Oregon. And in this specific case, our gas gauge was going like this on a drive up through California. And as we were driving up, the gas kept going down and the kids were starting to freak out. The gas light went on. And of course, as a youth pastor, very insecure, I told them, man, God's got this. It's going to be great. Not a problem. We come into a gas station on fumes and we a gas station in California. Um, what they didn't teach you at youth pastor school as a suburb kid in Oregon, what's the difference between Oregon and California? <laughs> got to pump your own gas. I missed that on the final. And uh, I'm telling the kids, this is going to be great. This is awesome. So good. And I get out there and I, I put the nozzle in and I say out loud, I'm having a hard time getting this thing in. Anyone know what I did? Diesel. Filled it with diesel, baby. Yeah. And uh, that's when I decided to move to sisters. Um, <laughs> oftentimes our spiritual life can become like this. Good intention, really believing we figured it out. Really, really convinced this is the solution. And maybe we're injecting all the wrong things. So we're going to look at these four myths this morning. Myth number one from this passage we're going to look at. Myth number one is this. Christianity is primarily, key word, primarily, a worldview that teaches new ethical principles that people need to live up to. And maybe you've been around the church a long time and you see Christianity is primarily just, it's a set of beliefs, set of ethical systems, set of doctrinal propositions, and and these things, I, I need to primarily live up to them. And what I want to tell you this morning from this text is that is not true the way we think it's true. The truth is this, from this passage, Christianity is the miracle of the life of the triune God in his people. Christianity is the miracle of receiving a new life, a new identity, and a new power source for life. It's nothing less than the mystery of union with Christ. So I want to show you this in three places in this first John passage. 1 John chapter 4, we didn't read this, but verse 12 says this, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides where? Where is God working today? In us. God's abiding in us. Verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he what? 
in us. Verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. That's a lot of airtime in three verses. I think John's like, my readers aren't going to be very smart. I'm going to make it very simple. I'm going to repeat this three times. And rewind to John's early life with the rabbi. It's the night where he takes his men and he takes them to the upper room and he tells them this story. And it it doesn't say in John's gospel, but I imagine in John 15, as he starts this teaching, he tells his disciples, arise and go with me. And they go, and it doesn't say it, but I imagine they're walking in a vineyard because he tells the guys, abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches, abide in me. That's a command. It's a command with a promise, abide in me. And what does Jesus say? And I will what? I'm going to abide in you. And so sometimes we reduce Christianity to make sure you have the right belief system, make sure you have the right ethic. And John's saying something entirely different than that. He's saying the mystery of this thing is so much bigger than just some ethical beliefs. It's actually union with Christ. And if, if you don't figure that out and you spend generations trying to perform the ethic, Steve talked about performing the truth a couple weeks ago. You know what happens if you don't experience union with Christ? Exhaustion. Because we can't perform the ethic. Remember Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount? I love how he sums it up. He's like, so basically what I'm saying is, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. How are we doing with that, friends? Yeah, liar. I'm going to interview your spouse. And uh, and so, I'll take you to Colossians 3, and I want you to see this. Colossians chapter 3. Paul says this, if you have been raised with Christ, and we have been raised, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. Watch this. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. There's a hiddenness to our lives. It's not fully revealed yet. Your life is not your life. Your life is hidden. It's united with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. And so the first myth I want to debunk this morning is that the Christian life is about you trying harder. And I want to say that very proactively at the beginning of 2023, where the hustle culture takes over. Do this. Try harder. How many of you guys are already off the reservation on your diet? It was day one and there was a chocolate cake in front of me. I was like, my goodness. Get behind me, Satan. (laughs) The hustle culture, you can't perform the hustle culture. Jesus performed it for you. Receive it. Union with Christ. Myth number two. 
you can't be really sure that God loves you. This is why I'm probably not an Arminian. In and out of the love of God. I, well, I, I get it now, but I, don't, I lost it. You can't be sure that God loves you. That's a myth. John's claim in this passage is that you can have confidence. You can be certain and you can know and you can be settled and you can be resolved. Amen. Thanks, Kurt. First John chapter four. Let's settle this, okay? Verse 13, by this we know. You can know that you know. Verse 16, so we have come to know and to believe. Verse 17, so that we might have confidence. Your life will change when you stop moving out in and out of confidence that God loves you. Your life will actually change. The, the, the deepest part of your motivational structure of your life, it can change and it can be settled, it can be re resolved. And you can leave today with confidence. And that's what I want for you. I want a church that's confident, that you know that you know. Do you remember, for some of you this might be a few years ago, or decades. Do you remember that awkward dance premaritally with your, with your, uh, with your honey? We were like, I, I call it the DTR, right? Define the relationship and you're trying to figure it out. You guys remember those days? It's it a little tense. You're dating, you're enjoying each other. I was dating this awesome woman named Michelle and we were both coming out of some dysfunctional high school relationships and we were just having a blast getting to know each other. We were serving in the church together. We were just enjoying this amazing friendship. And it was kind of turning, it was kind of friend, kind of more, you know, we were just trying to figure it out. And one day Michelle says to me, you know, I could really see myself marrying a guy like you. I was both like, like puffed up and I was like scared to death. Like, um, that's bold for, so I like avoided her for a couple days and then I smartened up and realized I better take her up on that before she realizes she can do better. And the uh, <laughs> rest has been history, you know. <laughs> Oftentimes we approach our relationship with God the same way. Kind of unsure. Oh, I did my devotions yesterday. I can go with confidence today. Ooh, I missed my quiet time. I better hide. Oh, I was really loving and gracious and kind in this hard interaction. I can go with confidence today. I was harsh. I better hide. Friends, I am learning in my own discipleship to King Jesus that it is not presumptuous to run to God for mercy the moment after you grieve him with your sin. And we can know. And when you know that you know, the foundations and the motivations of your life change. Number three, which is kind of a riff off number two. The myth is this. God doesn't love me. 
I call this the, the sin of self-pity. Woe is me. The truth from this text, verse 7, love is from God. Verse 17, 16, 17, the love that God has for us. It actually says in verse 16 that God is love. And so what John's going to do in this section is he's actually going to, he's going to pit two motivational structures that drive our lives and he's just going to put them out there. And the first one he says that can drive our lives is we can actually become motivated by love. We can become energized in our mission by love. We can become a church that has a culture of love. We can become a family and a people of love. But the other motivation that he's going to bring up in this text is fear. And what John's going to say is that these things are going to be in conflict with one another. There's going to be a lead motivation in your life. And that lead motivation will actually cause you to create a culture around you. So it's either love or fear. And here's the problem. We all go into life intuitively, not, not even trying, but just who we are. And culturally, we've grown up in systems that make us, we just, we live out of fear without even trying. Let me read to you guys a, a couple quotes here I wanted to share. This is from Tim Keller. He says this, he says, the problem with self-esteem, whether it's high or whether it's low, it's that every single day, we're, we are in the courtroom. We're trying to prove ourselves. He says the natural condition of the human ego is that it's empty, painful, busy, and fragile. And so if our lives are empty, painful, busy, and fragile, what are we going to go and do? We're going to try and get ahead. But we're going to do it not motivated out of love of God, not our brother. We're going to do it motivated out of fear. I just want to be better than you. And if I can just be a little bit better than that clown over there, hey, my ego's intact. In the, uh, his book, Sickness Unto Death, Søren Kierkegaard says this, it's the normal state of the human heart to try to build itself around something besides God. Spiritual pride is the illusion that we are competent to run our own lives, achieve our own sense of self-worth, and find a purpose big enough to give us meaning in life without God. And so we're going to be motivated by love. And if we're motivated by love, perfect love is going to do what? It's going to cast out what? Fear. But if we don't receive this perfect love, by the way, this perfect love that John's talking about, it's not about the way we love people because we don't love perfectly. It's about receiving and when an imperfect people received a perfect love, it changes you from the inside out. And so just some questions I was thinking about. I wrote a few questions down. And the questions are, are you living your life motivated by love or by fear? So let's just do some comparison. If you're living by love, you listen. If you're driven by fear, you talk or convince or control. Love forgives. A life 
driven by fear, it resents. A life of love, it gives, it serves. A life driven by fear, it it takes and it manipulates. A life driven by love, it apologizes. It wants to understand where it's been wrong. But a life driven by fear blames. A life driven by love, it understands and seeks to understand. But a life driven by fear assumes the worst about everyone around you, especially your enemies. So are you driven by love or are you driven by fear? Tim Keller goes on in his book. It's a great little book. It's called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. Keller says this. He says, when you understand this, you see that the verdict is in. And I now perform on the basis of the verdict. Because he loves me and he accepts me, I do not have to do things to build up my resume. I do not have to make things, do things to make me look good. I can actually just do things for the joy of doing them. I can help people to help people. Not so I can feel better about myself, not so I can fill up the emptiness. So where John's gonna go is he's gonna say, we love. But he's gonna tie it to the deepest motivation of our life. We love because what? I'm scared of God? Because he first loved us. And so John is not gonna dismiss the application. John is not going to say, well, just, you know, be loved by God and kind of do whatever you want. He's not gonna do that. He's going to say, here's, a, here's an end goal, but the way we get to the goal, because it's very possible that some of us have maybe been in the church a really long time, and our union with Christ is a vague memory. The power and the joy and the obedience of faith, it's dusty and it's tired. And we're doing all the right stuff, but we're doing it because we're just kind of scared that God's going to get me. I was talking with Jonathan at the elder retreat this week. We were talking through some of these concepts. And he reminded me of the great passage in the Proverbs, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And as we were talking about it, Jonathan made this great point. It's the beginning. Fearing God is it's an important part. It's the beginning, though. And as we get on the road to faith, God, as we get to know him, he actually moves our motivational structure from fear to one of love. And that should be a progression in our growth, in our discipleship. Friends, I can tell you this. Nothing changed in my life significantly until the love of God moved from a concept to an experience in my life. And I was 18 years old. I was a church kid. I knew the truth I was to perform. I was good at pretending to perform it and lying about that to my youth pastor. I was good at playing church, but there was no vitality. And it's only when I opened up God's word and started getting to know this God, 
He's an awesome God. This awesome God loves me. And when you find yourself going, I am loved by the one true God, and I am brought into something way bigger than my life could ever, it's when that, that happens, you'll begin to experience awe and wonder. And here's what John says about this. And I was thinking about SCC. I was thinking about 2023. I was thinking about where are we going? I was coming off the elder retreat and I read this passage and I just said, man, this is it. This is what our church needs to be. This is 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Wouldn't it be awesome as a community if our project this year our resolve this year was just to come to know the love that God has for us. What kind of love does God have for us? Is it because we figured it out? No, but, but God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were what? When we were far, Christ died for us. When you were rebellious, when you were lying, when, when you were manipulating, when you were oblivious, when you were hating yourself and those around you, at that moment, God demonstrates and God sent his son. Jonathan Edwards wrote his resolutions as a 19-year-old. This is rev resolution number 26, resolved to carefully examine and constantly what that one thing in me is which causes me in the least to doubt the love of God and to direct all my forces against it. 19 years old, what's Edward saying? I'm doing everything in my can to make sure I believe the love of God. And so when you think about these Bible study leaders, when you think about discipleship groups, uh, we're gonna have a class after church called LEAD. We wanna have a culture of leadership in our church. Why? So we could have great discipleship ministries going on. Like what's the purpose of all of that? So we can know more, not necessarily. So we can say, hey, here's our menu. We got a lot of stuff going on. We wanna be busy. No, we want all of these things to be environments where we experience the love of God. That's what these things are to be about. So. The truth is, God loves you. And when you believe that, here's what ends up happening. You end up seeing God's word, God's truth, God's church, God's people, not as an obstacle. You actually see it as a source of life. First John chapter five, verse three, look at this. Verse two, actually, by this we know the, the love by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. And when you start seeing the word of God, the truth of God, even the confrontational nature at times of God's truth as love, you know you're walking and receiving the love of God. Myth number four. Because God loves me, it doesn't matter what I do. John's not gonna let us off that easy. 
He's going to say this. He says, he's going to say the litmus test of whether we've really experienced, known, and tasted and experienced the love of God is the quality of our relationships, our depth with one another. Verse 19 to 21. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love his... If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love one another. Francis Schaeffer in his book, Mark of a Christian, says, upon his authority, he gives the world the right to judge whether you and I are born-again Christians on the basis of our observable love toward all Christians. This is the place where we manifest the love of God. It's the truest test that we've experienced the grace of God. My pastor, Alan Halofka, used to have this little quip, and it's troubling when you really think about it. He says this, we tend to treat others how we think God is treating us. Are you harsh with others? Go upstream. You might be thinking God is harsh with you. Are you arrogant around others? Go upstream. You might believe God's arrogant towards you. We love not because we're such great, awesome, wonderful, loving people. We're not. We love because we've... Exp- so think of it this way. God's grace, that's the lightning. That's, that's, the, that's the event. Our relationships, that's the thunder. Working together, cause, effect. God's love, reality, our relationships, experience. And how we interact with one another. How we speak the truth in love. How we believe the best about one another. How we pray for one another. That thing that you're thinking, should I have that person over and have them in my home? The answer is probably yeah. Should I... Should I be a person that's easy to gossip with? Should I be a person that is easily turning people against one another in the church? The answer is probably not. Our relationships matter. It's the test for John. Loved people love people. Saved people save people. Pursued people, pursue people. Redeemed people, redeem people. You see how that works? There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. And we love because he first loved us. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this church. Have your way, O God. Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Spirit, the triune God. Lift high, Jesus. Spirit, blow into our hearts fresh affection for Christ. Lord, please help us experience union. I pray for those who have a sense of doubt this morning. We can have confidence. And we need to know what we know because you've made it clear. God, I pray for missional impact. I pray for relational health. I pray for doctrinal purity. And I pray most of all, God, 
Not that we would try and love you, but that this would be a year we allow ourselves to be loved by you. Thank you for loving us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this encourages you to dive deeper into your relationship with God through prayer, scripture, worship, and community. We hope you can join us on Sunday mornings at 9.30. For more information, go to sisterschurch.com. Be blessed, friends.